You are listening to the Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Tour de France Fan, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 6, today we're in Rosenheim. Well, that was the sound outside the Jumbo Visma bus when the great Mariana Vos won her second stage here at the Tour de France fam. And you could hear uh, some of the staff and Mariana Vos's dad, Henk, who I love. I always love bumping into Henk. He travels around in the, the camper van, uh, with the camper van now, which is now chock-a-block with flowers from all the things that Mariana Vos wins and, and all her cuddly toys and everything. But where are we, Rook? Tell us. Where, you know, where is this stage finish? You'll actually know today, I know you? today. We are in uh, <laughs> Rosheim and um, we are in Alsace country, so it's known for its wines, Riesling and Gewürztraminer, which we are enjoying right now. Yes, I'm enjoying a lovely glass of um, um, jo- um, <laughs> Jobelmeister. No, Gewürztraminer. Gewürztraminer. No, do it one more time. Gewürztraminer. Gewürztraminer. What I love about this wine is it. It's kind of. You can't of, pronounce it. Well, and not just that I can't pronounce it, but I feel like it's it 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 it's, it kind of it enables you to keep reasonably sober because there's no way that you can order. Are you it sure? You had a bottle. Because... <laughs> <laughs> no. I promise this. Is, I've had half a glass, half a glass only. I'm just struggling with the pronunciation. Lizzie, what, have you got a drink there? You haven't got a drink today. I've actually got a, a sparkling salty water. It wasn't one of Francois's salty. Salty. Why is it salty? <laughs> oh, you know, like uh, like Vichy Catalan is a bit salty. Oh, oh. so it's not actually oh, okay. It's not actually salt water that you're no, drinking. It's, no, it's water oh, that has God. a salty taste to it, which I really like. Oh, oh. that's <laughs> not appealing to me. Remember. I think I'll stick to my Gerbilmeister over here. <laughs> Gerbilmeister. <laughs> but no, it's uh, lovely. And we, we will actually hear from Francois Tomazo uh, later on in the episode, who is going to talk us through some of the wines of the region, and the, the vineyards that you might have spotted uh, on today's stage. Uh, and I should actually give a, a, a shout out early today that we're looking for our peddlers de charme for this week's uh, race. I have the cup. It is Stacey Snyder has made it with her hand, bare hands. I don't know whether they're bare hands. They're probably covered in water and things to make a, a <laughs> cup. But she is, by hand, she has moulded this beautiful cup, especially for the winner of our Peddlers de Charme, uh, a rider who we think has charm, charmingly pedalled, has done something worthy of note, is, has been a good sportswoman. Uh, so I was going to throw it out to the crowd if you had any suggestions. I, I do want to hear the suggestions of the listeners, of course, uh, but to give you a little bit of inspiration, maybe Rook, have you got got a got someone in mind? Maybe that I might do. Receive that. Yeah, I think um, Elisa Longobigini, after she took a, a rather embarrassing wrong turn mm. yesterday, she took it in stride and she started making fun of herself before anyone else did um, on social media, and I think I think that's really neat. Yeah, very, I like that. I like that. Lizzie, you got someone in mind? Well, I already mentioned Carly DeMay the other day, who I felt was very worthy of the uh, Combativity Award and didn't get it uh, when it was given to Marlon Reuser. Uh, but actually, listening to Antri Christopher's interview yesterday, she was so passionate and so happy to be there and 
just so pleased to be a part of this spectacular race and to be able to put on a show to the crowds. I thought it was a, a very um, cup-worthy performance that she did yesterday. Mm, I like that, cup-worthy. Well, I, I thought of what, to be honest, if I'm totally honest, I went round the press room uh, asking people their opinions to see if anyone came up with them. And uh, Amy Jones suggested Yara Castelline because on stage two, the, you know, the, we might remember that one with the, all the crashes. So Yara wasn't caught up in the crash and saw that Laura Susamil was uh, caught up in the crash. She's her teammate and she was in a very bad way and stopped uh, to uh, assist her and, uh, you know, didn't mind, you know, losing all that time and having to, uh, to chase back on and everything. Uh, so that was, well, mine, but slash Amy Jones's uh, suggestion. So uh, I do want to put it out to Twitter, though, and uh, Instagram and have people come up with uh, your suggestions. Then we're going to put it on a poll and uh, hopefully be awarding uh, that ride of the cup at the end of the week. Um, so, well, let's get on with talking about today's stage. Uh, Lizzie, you're going to give us your tale of the attack, please. I will do, but just before I mention that, I want to just go back to Mariana Voss's parents' camper van. And I remember when I first encountered her parents' camper van at the end of the 2019 Giro, and Mariana Voss's cat used to travel around with her parents. Uh, her Shecky. cat called Shecky. Yeah, which uh, you'll know, Rook, means... R.I.P. Uh, Shecky, we should say. The, <laughs> the word tobacco. for... Dutch word for tobacco, yeah. And it was lovely cat on lead. Um, so, yeah, rest in peace, Shecky. <laughs> Anyway, shall we move on? I didn't actually, can I just say, I didn't realise that Shecky had died and the first thing I did was go up to Anton Voss, who is Mariana's brother, and was like, oh, you know, has Shecky got a little yellow outfit? Or and then he was just like, oh, no, that was like three years ago or something. Yeah. You're too late. So, uh, yeah, RIP Shecky. But, yeah, go on, Lizzie, give us your tail of your tap, please. <laughs> well, with the casualties stacking up, we were down to 125 starters for stage six. 128.6 kilometres from, from Saint-Dié-des-Vosges to Rossheim. Maya van Kalouf, Eleonora Gasparini and Marta Lach were all non-starters due to yesterday's crash, with Martina Alzini of Cofidis abandoning shortly after the start. It was a frenetic start, with every woman and their dog wanting to try for the break. The hard pace meant for a strong breakaway, being made up of 14 riders from 14 teams at 83 to go. Audrey Cordon-Rago, Sheila Gutierrez, Christine Majerus, Marie Lynette, Anna Henderson, Francie Koch, Tiff Cromwell, Ruby Roseman Gannon, Sandra Alonso, Silke Smulders, Catherine Hammers, Jesse Van den Buchler, Joss Loudon and Tamara Dronova were the protagonists of the day. Valcar Travel and Service and UAE Team ADQ were the biggest losers, missing out on the break and being forced to chase after a failed attempt at bridging the gap from Marta Bastianelli. The break held a steady gap of 1.30 for much of the race, but heading into the Côte de Bush at 28 to go for the first of two passages, FDJ's Grace Brown hit the front, stringing out the chase and tumbling the gap to the front. 40 seconds now to a frustrated break whose co cohesion started to snap. Off the top of the climb now, Henderin and Majerus put on a daredevil act of descending, front wheels skipping as they cornered at such high speeds. Holding it up, they kept their gap, but that behind the bunch was not so lucky. Kopecky, Reuser, Amialusik and the borrowed green jersey of Vibas hitting the deck hard. At the front, the gap went out, before DSM, with Vibas now out of the picture, set up a fierce tempo for Liana Lippert. 
The gap now closing, Marie Lynette and Anna Henderson exploded out of the break, Loudon clawing her way back. One kilometre to the top of the final climb now, and Lynette chanced her luck, going solo over the top. 20 seconds, 25, 30, 35 seconds, 40, 35, 30. Lippert attacked from the bunch behind, countered by Vollering. Now the gap to Lynette down to only 20 seconds as the riders hit the plateau over the top of the climb. Van Dyke came to the front and the gap tumbled. Nine seconds only now and everyone was on their limit. Trek, pushing hard on the accelerator, made the junction just as they hit the tricky descent. 5k to go with Kopecky sitting in fourth wheel as she passed the site of her previous demise. Three to go, Marcus and Swinkles hitting the front for Jumbo Visma with Voss in their wheel. A resurrected Ellen van Dyke came back yet again, but with the world champion slipping back, Longo Borghini did a monster pull to bring her safely round the corner and right to the front. Capecchi, Manley, Balsamo, Sierra, Persico, Bastianelli, all in the fight, but hitting the front first and holding it to the line, it was Mariana Voss who took an iconic victory in the maillot jaune of race leader of the Tour de France femme. Marta Bastianelli took second place, with Lotta Capecchi riding on adrenaline to come back from her crash and take third. Julia Borgstrom of AG Insurance Next G bested Yuli de Wilder to take over the lead in the white jersey competition. Femke Heritzer retained the polka dot jersey, but with the big mountains coming up tomorrow, that competition will be hotting up. Mariana Voss took another 10 seconds on her GC rivals with no other change in the top 10. But with Vibus unable to contest the finish today, Voss has the green jersey all but nailed on heading into the final two mountain stages. 2, 1, 2, 5, 3, 1. Mariana Voss's finishing statistics so far this tour, but will tomorrow be the final day in yellow for the greatest of all time? The cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France Femme, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much to our title sponsors, Super Sapiens, whose continuous glucose monitoring technology has helped riders to improve their fueling and their training and their racing. And, well, last year, Super Sapiens worked with the Canyon SRAM team. This year, they're also working with Jumbo Visma and with SD Works, and also with Rachel Nalen, who's riding the Tour de France fam. She's also an ambassador for Super Sapiens, and she's featured in the latest Super Sapiens podcast, which you can find in your favourite podcast app. This is Rachel Nalen talking about looking forward to riding the inaugural Tour de France fam. It's definitely it's going to be the, the highlight of one of the highlights of my career. I know it already, and I just yeah can't wait. Being on a French team as well, it's just yeah it's a dream come true. If I had a dollar for every time anyone asked me, why is there no women's Tour de France? I'd be a rich girl. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time coming, but um, it's definitely a step in the right direction. But, you know, like, we can we can have a women's Giro. We could have a women's Milan San Remo. We need to have a women's Lombardia. Like there are, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of gaps to fill yet. Go to supersapiens.com to find out more about Super Sapiens and check out the Super Sapiens podcast. Now back to the team in France.
Well, here I am at the uh, start in San Diego Road, which is obviously the, the finish town of last night. Thought I'd try something a little bit different on the uh, podcast today. Thought I would uh, do something of a F1 style pit walk, a paddock walk. Um, we'll just go along among all the team buses, team cars, uh, which uh, will park up at the start of the race and the riders get ready there. And then obviously they cycle onto the uh, start line. Uh, before the race starts so gonna see who we can talk to who i can get a quick word with who i can grab maybe hopefully some riders some some ds's uh, some other interesting people and uh, uh yeah let's uh, let's see where we are so we're just gonna head past fdj uh bus is there on my my right they've uh, had such a roller coaster of a week haven't they um I'm just coming over to the Yumbo Visma bus. Obviously, Mariana Voss in a yellow jersey here. Uh, some of the riders warming up on the rollers. See Anna Henderson here just signing. Uh, uh, <laughs> giving you a running commentary. And Anna, how are you enjoying uh, being on a team with a yellow jersey? Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's really good. Yeah, really special. So, uh, yeah, excited to have another day in yellow. Is it a very different challenge to what you, you're used to? Uh, yeah, it's a lot more focused in the stage for sure, staying in the front and, and uh, yeah, just, uh, yeah, be trying to control the race a bit and, yeah, but it's, it's a nice challenge and something new for me, so, yeah. And how are your injuries recovering now? Oh, no, fine, yeah, I just, uh, I, I, by the time I'd, like, made it to the crash, I was basically stopped, so I just didn't stop in time, so, yeah, I was behind it, I wasn't in it, so, yeah, I just landed on some people and went on my way, so, yeah, I hope everyone's okay. Perfect, good luck today, Anna. <laughs> So that was uh, Anna Henderson, uh, obviously on Mariner Voss's team. Uh, they're going to be working really hard to keep the yellow jersey today. It seems unlikely that Mariana will be able to keep it uh, in the high mountains at the end of the week. But um, yeah, she'll certainly want it at the end of the day uh, at least. So let's uh, carry on. Let's see who else we can find. Uh, now I've just found Henk, father of Mariana Voss. Uh, Henk, how proud are you? I mean, Mariana does not... I don't know how to tell it. I, I, not enough words. Unbelievable. It's a dream. And how does it compare to all of Mariana's other wins to be in yellow jersey here? The most of them are great. Every, every win is special. It's now the moment, of course. And yeah, it is super special. And Henk, I believe you're following with the camper van, yeah. as, as you always do. The camper van must be full of flowers, flowers toys. Flowers, shirts. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, this is so nice. Uh, everything most tell. Uh, I cannot find the words. How happy and proud. Thank yeah. you very much, Hank. Okay. I'll leave you do it. Okay. There's Mariana going by, giving us a wave. Uh, let's see who else we can find. Elisa Balsamo, just going past me there. In the World Champions jersey, of course. Let's see if we can get a word with uh, Audrey Cordon Rago. I've just spotted on the side here. Audrey, can I get a quick word? Audrey Cordon Rago, the French champion. How special has it been to be at the Tour de France fam in the French jersey? I think you cannot imagine. And I couldn't imagine before coming here. It's just uh, incredible. Um, I, I'm really emotional every day. And every day it's even more people screaming my name. And 
yeah, it's it's all about my name. Honestly, I'm not saying that because I have a big head or at all. <laughs> but even the girls are coming to me and they're like, oh, wow, you're a star here. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not coming from this part of France at all. And people know my name and I'm like, whoa, this is incredible. I never saw that in women cycling before, at least for me. So it's really special. And how much would you love to see uh, the Tour de France fan maybe go to Brittany next year? Yes, I'm pushing for it. Actually, <laughs> actually, each time I see someone from Bretagne, I'm asking for it. I hope they're going to listen to me, but uh, we are also far from the mountain, so it's not easy. So maybe the day we have a longer tour, it would be easier to come in Bretagne, but I still hope. That would be great. Thank you very much. Enjoy your day, Audrey. I'll let you uh, get on with signing. Plenty of polka dot jerseys there. Now let's see... Uh, Wander a little bit further along. See who else we can spot here. Who is going to be my uh, next victim out here? We see Elise Chabet just going past. She looks like she's recovered from her little crash yesterday. She had just coming into the finish line. Got a, going past the Uno X uh, bus. All of their riders are out the front warming up. Sorry, everyone's looking at me while I'm doing a little. <laughs> I'm doing a little pit walk. Chatting, chatting to people uh, as I go. Might try and get a quick word with Hannah Barnes here. Hannah, I <laughs> know I'm just coming to surprise you, sorry. <laughs> um, uh, Hannah, uh, you know, everyone's warming up here. Is this today going to be a day for the breakaway? Um, it's hard to know. I don't think so, though. Um, I think, especially Voss, and I think she knows that today is probably the last chance she'll have to, to win a stage, so I think she already wanted to come down to a small group to the finish with her in there um, but we'd we'd like to get in there have a little fun at the start so yeah everyone's warming up we're getting ready for it <laughs> perfect thanks Hannah that was Hannah Barnes there obviously you have Uno Uno X the Norwegian team has seen quite a few Norwegian flags supporting them now I've just walked past the team DSM bus I'm just having a little look see if I can find one of their DS's be interesting to find out about if they're uh, going to be trying to bring it back for Lorena Weebus once again today. So uh, oh, I spotted Albert Timmer there, so let's go and, go and see if we can get a word there. Uh, Albert Timmer, DS, uh, uh, Team DSM. Everyone's saying this is a day for the break uh, today. How are you guys going to make sure it's not that? Well, I also believe it's a day for the break, oh, okay. to be honest. So we are not doing anything when it comes to controlling. Or we have to miss completely and uh, Juliette's uh, GC is in danger, for example. But on the moment, uh, it's, uh, I also think it's a break, uh, breakaway day. OK, so that must mean you're going to have someone going in the break yourself then? We aim for it. So we also know it's not so uh, easy today. It will be actually really difficult. OK, Thank well, very intriguing. Thank you, Albert. <laughs> that was Albert Timmer. Just, uh, he's just setting up in the car. So even he thinks it's a day for the breakaway. That's kind of surprised me. That's kind of surprised me. Hi, Tim. Well, I just thought I'd get a word with you while, while you walk back to your bus. Bus, car, team car. Bus, team car, your team car, yeah. Um, how's, it, how's it going this week, Tim? Yeah, really good. Well, I think it could have gone either way. We didn't really know. Obviously, in Paris, there was going to be a lot of people because the men were there. But from Monday onwards, it's just been... I mean, I've done 14 Tour de France's with the men and the crowd's the same here as at the men, so it's amazing, to be honest. For the team, yeah, we're well, OK, it's good. Uh, we've uh, had a couple of nice results with Veronica Uris, and yesterday we had uh, Emily Newson in the break, which was the plan. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to the next three, three days. I'm very excited to see what Veronica can do. She's a real talent, isn't she? Yeah, Veronica's a massive talent. She's, uh, she's new to the sport, really. 
and um, our case is already won in Luxembourg and she's won in Pamplona. Um, so yeah, we're really looking forward to see what she can do at the real highest level. But yeah, she's definitely a big talent. Perfect, thanks Tim. Right, all the riders. Uh, lovely to catch up with Tim, obviously a friend of the podcast. But uh, seeing all the riders now, uh, heading to the start. Let's see if we can uh, get to the start. Now we haven't got long before the start, so I'm going to try and run back up to the start line if I can. <gasps> Caron second, they're saying, whoa, can I break into a little sprint so we can see the sort of going off? You probably hear the big announcements going on. All the cars are lining up behind. Got the motorbikes. Police motorbikes are ready. Loads of people here in San Diego Vosges. Finished town yesterday. Riders have all gone off. Jerseys, of course, are standing proud at the front. They get to go get the special honour of getting to stand right at the front there. But loads of people, loads of kids. You can probably hear great atmosphere here. And uh, yeah, well. Well, you heard there my first go at a F1 style pit walk, paddock walk, but a paddock is a lot bigger than a pit walk, which is what I hadn't kind of uh, considered. But anyway, hopefully... I actually ended up talking to some of the, the main people of the day, though. Audrey cardon Rago, who was in the break, and... Uh, Anna Henderson. Anna Henderson, who was in the break, and obviously uh, a lot of involvement from DSM, which is uh, why I spoke to Albert Timmer. But uh, funnily enough, wasn't it, that uh, Hannah Barnes of Uno X said uh, that it was going to be a day for Voss, or at least that Voss would be really going for it today and you know she proved uh, totally correct rook i mean a, a second win for voss that's something you know i think everyone always enjoys a voss win don't they they do and and she does uh, certainly know how to go out in style like she's very likely to lose the yellow jersey tomorrow so to win in the yellow jersey uh, one last time before giving it to someone else is, is um you know pure pure class it is isn't it and and uh, lizzie like you mentioned in the tail of the attack uh, that puts in a very good position for the green jersey because at the end of the day, because of uh, Vibus having that crash, it means that Mariana Voss has got 267 points in the green jersey classification and Vibus has only got 191. So that puts Mariana Voss in a very good position for that. Yeah, I mean, Mariana Voss is pretty much taking that jersey as long as she makes it to the finish now. Um, there, there are two sprints left. Whoa, whoa, let's not have any Lizzie curse. No, no, no. <laughs> I didn't like that sentence. Mariana Voss is not taking this jersey to the finish. Let's, should I, can I say that? Is that okay? <laughs> 
No, I think that might be worse, actually. <laughs> but I mean, looking at the numbers and also looking at, uh, you know, the sprints that are left, looking at the state of Rebus after today, she had a pretty hard knock. She had, you know, big abrasions on both sides. When she was back on the bike, she didn't look like she was moving well. She ended up losing seven minutes. Obviously, once she was out of contention for the stage, she wasn't then, you know, trying to get to the finish as fast as possible. But aside from that, she didn't look herself she, she didn't look comfortable on the bike and and she was sitting down on the floor for a pretty long time after she'd hit the deck which is never a good sign because you know Kopecky got back to that bunch so if she'd have thought that she could get back on the bike straight away she would have done because she obviously still had that chance to win she was still with that group going over that penultimate climb she was climbing really really well um, but she was clearly she she was clearly hit pretty hard now if you were if you were Lorena Lizzie would you would you ride tomorrow the jersey's gone. You're injured. There's Don't two. Don't well, She's just really, a total hard. Nut. I would She'd just be like. Yes. <laughs> but if you if you're not a climber and you're injured and the jersey is gone, uh, what's the well, point? I mean, I guess well, the precedent in this, if you think about a normal, uh, you know, uh, not a normal. God, that's the patriarchy talking. Oh no! Oh, yes. the Tour de I've done that's the second time I've done that this week. That's terrible. The Tour de France. Um, if you think about the Tour de France. Um. They quite often have uh, sprinters that turn up. There, obviously, it's 21 stages uh, instead of eight stages, which does make a bit of difference. But they they quite often have sprinters that turn up there. They do the early sprint stages, and then when they get to the big mountains, they go home because they're yeah. you know there's nothing really left them, or you know the effort of getting over the mountains is, is too much just for what might be one sprint stage at the end. So I mean, the, the kind of the precedent is there that Lorena Weebus, you know, might not even turn up tomorrow what do, what do you think about that Ruth? yeah i mean she is injured and and like if you are injured would you risk your injuries or, or like uh, the rest of your season based on two stages where you can't really do anything i, I mean, mean it you really can help out your teammate obviously but if you're injured like i don't know i don't know the jersey's gone she's injured i could totally imagine a world in, w in which she doesn't show up tomorrow. And, and the team is also uh it is kind of built around her really i mean you know juliette lebu is very good on the climbs, but I mean, they they really have brought brought the nearest thing to a sprint team with them. So I mean, it's not like there is that domestic role for Lorena Weebus, is there? Exactly. Yeah. So uh, I mean, it'd be interesting to see, and if she does show up, you know, good on her. I disagree. I think that, of course, <laughs> this race is different to the Tour de France on because we don't finish in Paris. We finish atop a high mountain, and we've got two mountain stages coming up. But having said that, the team. Yes, it is predominantly about her, but it's not all about her. And the team have been working so hard for her. We only have teams of six in this race, unlike the men's race where you have teams of eight. They've already lost Charlotte Cool uh, back on the gravel stage, on stage four. And so if they were to also lose Lorena, they'd be down to four. Actually, Lorena could do a really good job pulling for her teammates in, uh, in the beginning of the stage tomorrow and in quite a long section of the stage on stage eight. So she could be very, very useful. I mean, it really depends on the extent of her injuries but there's a factor about honoring the race here as well she's a huge name she's somebody that the crowds will really want to to see whether she's you know winning the stage or whether she's half an hour back on the mountain stage she she's a really valuable person to be in the stage on the road for the crowds to see um and i i do think there's a big part about respecting this this first you know of a new generation of women's tour de france's well we'll, have to see, well, we'll have to see, you know, because obviously she did crash today, so we have to see, you know, what the effects of her injuries uh, are, whether she turns up tomorrow uh, or not. But the uh, winner was, of course, uh, Marina Voss today, and she did kind of win it in uh, Lorena Weebus. 
fashion. It was so emphatic, mm. actually, uh, from uh, Marta Bastianelli. Let's hear from one of the instrumental domestiques uh, for Marina Voss, and that is Caroline Swinkles. Uh, Caroline, tell us uh, how did that? Well, congratulations on a, a team you. win. You know, how did the plan change as the day went on for you? Well, we wanted to have Anna in the breakaway. Uh, she, yeah, of course, is a strong rider, so for us it was perfect. She could just sit on, as it was quite a big group that was going on the road. Um, luckily, Anna was strong enough to be there till the final because, yeah, she was uh, amazing. And then after, uh, yeah, we had two girls doing the lead out into the climb. And then after, Rianne, Marianne, and me needed to survive. And uh, luckily, yeah, it went perfect. And after, yeah, we just did a lead out as fast as possible because we know that Marianne can, yeah, can make it because she's super strong. And the faster it is, the less girls from the back can come over. So we went uh, really full, full gas. And then uh, Ella van Dijk came over, which was perfect for us. And then Marianne finished it off. So, yeah, it's really incredible how strong she is in this moment. So it's really nice to work for and how does it feel to work for someone like Mariana Voss? Yeah, it's amazing because she's really a nice person and she really appreciates our work. So yeah, it's, it's one of the best leaders that, uh, that I ever had. Do, do you feel the pressure though? Because you know, you know that if she gets the right setup, it, it, you know, she can win it easily every single day pretty much. Like it's not a pressure, but you really want to be there because you want to be part of the win. So everyone has, I think, the feeling that they are responsible for their job. But uh, yeah, I think in this moment everyone of us is flying because we are. Uh, yeah, we really want to keep this yellow jersey as long as possible. So yeah, I think everyone is doing in this moment a great job. So yeah, it's a little bit of pressure, but at the same time we are enjoying it a lot. Well, that was Caroline Swinkles of Jumbo Visma. But I guess uh, the question we touched on why Lorena Webus wasn't uh, there in the finish. But you know, what else could Team DSM have done? Because. Uh, they they didn't manage to they obviously were trying for Liana Lippert towards the end there and uh, she didn't manage to get away Lizzie well I think that this this finish wasn't suited to Liana Lippert I think if the climb had been steeper then there would have been a chance for her to get away and hold it to the line um, and they put all of their cards in the Lorena Vibus's in the Lorena Vibus pile um, and she crashed out. So they had to you know, change their game pretty sharpish once she'd gone and they knew she wasn't gonna get back on. So I, I think it's, you know, I don't think it would be fair to say that they didn't come up trumps today because you know, they had, a, they had an, an ace and it was just taken out of their hands. Their best finish actually uh, today was 22nd. Juliette Labou came in 22nd. Uh, but it was interesting because their, their tactics must have had to be changing quite a lot of times on the road because they did actually have Koch. She was actually in the break, although she had been doing so much work uh, the day before on the front for to set up Lorena Webus that, uh, you know, it was a bit of an odd choice to put her in the breakaway, I thought. Well, sometimes you don't get a choice and who is in the breakaway it just who's where at what time and if she was just responding to make sure um they would have someone represented there and and make sure that um lorena is in a good place that was her duty and uh, sometimes she have no control over it yeah i mean that's the point she needed to be there in the breaks they needed to have somebody there represented from the team so that they didn't have to chase because they had lorena vibas behind so her job was to be there and to not do anything. And I think actually she did that perfectly. But unfortunately, she was so smoked from yesterday's effort that she was actually one of the first riders to be dropped from, from that breakaway. Well, shall we hear from uh, Team DSM's Liana Lippert, who's obviously trying to animate 
towards the end after the catch had been uh, made, um, but you know couldn't get away. Let's hear what she had to say. So, Liana, no top ten for the team today. What went wrong? Yeah, I mean, our sprinter Lorena crashed um, pretty hard, so I just hope she's okay, and I'm really happy she's back on the bike. And um, it was just Juliet, me in front, and we are definitely not sprinters, so in this crazy technical final, yeah, we can't do a top 10, and we just try to stay safe. How did the tactics change on the road for the team today? Because obviously uh, Koch was ahead in the break, uh, and then Lorena crashed. Yeah, then when Lorena was gone, uh, we just try to not miss any moves and we hope that it will be aggressive. I also tried it to get away, but yeah, track was just controlling it, so it's going to be a bunch sprint. I mean, you guys thought that the break was going to stay away, though, I imagine. No, no, actually not. We didn't thought that the break stayed away because uh, also Franzi dropped and then she was directly chasing it to close it. And yeah, we knew that. And was there, uh, what teams was it that kind of didn't allow you to get away. Who was really working for the sprint in the end? Yeah, Trek was for sure the team that uh, chased everyone. Science and Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France FAM. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science in Sport for supporting the cycling podcast. Go to scienceinsport.com and use the checkout code SISCP25 to get 25% off everything in the Science in Sport range of energy products to help fuel your ride and help you recover from your ride. They've got everything you need for before, during and after your training and racing. So go to scienceinsport.com and use the discount code SISCP25. Well, Rose, this is definitely a Tour de France fam I should have been on because after going from bar to bar in stage five, from uh, bar sur Aube to uh, bar le Duc, from one day to the other, you were today on the Alsace Vineyard cycle route. I mean, you uh, the the wine route of Alsace with uh, its fine white wines. It was actually almost uh, similar to the uh, the parkour of uh, the day stage from uh, Saint-Dié-les-Vosges to Rosheim. So, well, I hope you didn't have uh, too many glasses of uh, Alsace wine. You know, of course, that uh, Alsace produces um, some of the finest uh, white wines in France, the most famous being Riesling or Gavras Traminer or Sylvaner. And they, they also have, uh, and uh, my favorites actually, I'm not a great white wine person, uh, oddly enough. My favorites uh, being the, the, the few red wines they produce. They, they produce very light uh, reds made of Pinot. Um, all, almost all the villages the stage went through today, well, are, you know, wine growing um, villages with lots of uh, vintages, lots of local appellations. And uh, well, it, it was. Uh, I mean, you know, cycling and uh, and wine have always uh, worked well together, and it was uh, the case um, again today. So, well, actually, the wine route, you know, is a kind of a ribbon that runs along the eastern slopes of the Vosges and winds its way quietly along the mountainside. I'm I'm reading the uh, I'm reading the Office du Tourisme, um, um, blah blah. Um, you, you can also actually follow this uh, this um, Alsace uh, wine route by 
bike. I think it's probably wiser not to drive after you have, you've had a few too many. And it's called the Vélo Route du Vignoble. And uh, it's, it's quite long, quite interesting. And you can, you can ride your bike uh, along all railway lines, portions of the old Roman roads, and as well as numerous paths between the vineyards. It's well, gravelly, I suppose. So it's really, um, you know, I think if you want to go in this uh, area and rediscover after the stage, well, the little villages and the, and the vineyards, um, well, take your bike and uh, there's, there's a route, uh, the Vélo Route du Vignoble takes you there. Um, if you have to stop somewhere along the way, I, I suggest you, you probably have to stop in Bar, well, <laughs> decidedly Bar sur Robe. Uh, Bar le Duc and now Bar. It is the one capital of the Barin. The Barin being one of the two departments in uh, Alsace, and its vineyards climb the slope bordering the Kirnek Valley, um, marked by a little white house perched high up, and um, what well, produced the famous Grand Cru de Kirchberg, um, which can be found there. The Kirchberg being the, the mountain overlooking Bar. Well, that was it for the, today's uh, French flavor. I'll have a glass of uh, well, white wine uh, for, a, for a day and uh, well, I'll talk to you tomorrow for stage 7 and a little bit more of French flavor. Well, thank you once again to Francois Tomazot uh, and I've definitely taken his advice. I've gone for a lovely white wine that will, I won't bother even trying to uh, pronounce. And I have to say, actually, my, my normal go-to white wine is a Riesling, which is not the wine connoisseur's choice, I don't think. I think <laughs> people kind of find it a bit laughable to have your favourite white wine be a Riesling. But, you know, this isn't a Riesling, uh, but it's uh, very drinkable, very sweet, almost like a dessert wine. And the name of it was, again? Gewürztraminer. Gewürztraminer. I'm going to get yeah, a bit. That was great. Oh, was, that was good. Yeah, it was good. Okay, I've got it. That's good. So maybe the more you drink of it, uh, the better <laughs> the pronunciation gets. Maybe it's the wrong way around. And uh, Rook, you've got, that is uh, what is meant to be a rosé, but looks like, um, like a, if anyone, I, I don't know whether it's just a, a UK thing, but the, the Summer Fruits Oasis <laughs> soft drink, which is just all berries. It, it does, doesn't it? It, it kind of looks very like, much like that. Yeah, strawberry juice. Yeah, um, and it it's a bit like it's a bit sour. I quite like it. It's it's just not anything uh, I've had before. It's definitely uh, it's a bit like not a rosé, not a rosé. Um, but uh, well, can, you know, can we say that it was a vintage stage today? Or uh, you see that how seamlessly I did that? Uh, or were you kind of hoping Rook for a breakaway to stay away? I, I think it, even if it, there had been a breakaway, I I do think that it would have been kind of like the same people in it so ultimately i think the, the the end result would have been the same oh so you think that well yeah but if the breakaway had stayed away then oh you mean uh, today's breakaway? yes today's breakaway yeah no i didn't think that it was going to stay away oh okay well that's ended that line of uh questioning um, <laughs> I, I, I disagree though i disagree oh, okay. Go i, on I then, think Lizzie. that today's breakaway could have stayed stayed away if people had committed to it and I was quite surprised I mean okay now we know that Mariana Voss won the stage so yes maybe it's stupid now to say why didn't Anna Henderson work but I was thinking really about the green jersey points and the the threat of Lorena Mm. Vibas coming from behind and I thought well why the hell isn't Henderson working because if she works then this break has a much better chance of staying away and she's also actually a great 
you know, asset for the win, somebody who could definitely take the win on this stage. Um, and Henderson wasn't working, Tiffany Cromwell wasn't working, Marie Lynette was kind of half, yeah, not really working. Um, you know, there was somebody else not working at the back and it just, it just lacked cohesion. But you did have nine, 10 riders who were pulling through, you know, pretty evenly. Uh, and with that, you know, UAE and Valcar couldn't close that gap. So if those other four riders had actually contributed, which would have meant a much better kind of feeling in that group, it would have been better. But the problem with that group that it was just a little bit too big, I think sort of eight, nine riders is maybe perfect. 14, you're just kind of getting over that threshold of, of the right amount. People can sit on at the back, they can stay out of sight, and then they don't really get noticed. And then people think, oh, well, they're not working, so why should I? And and then things start to get fall apart. And, you know, we saw Catherine Hammers getting frustrated. And uh, I think we're going to hear from Christine, Christine Madras as well about how frustrated she was with this break. Yeah, I think it was uh, a little bit also because normally it's quite good to have just one, uh, a sole representative from each team or a lot of the teams uh, in the break. But it did make me think maybe you just need the odd team that has uh, a couple of people in the break so that you have one person who's obviously going to work and the other person who's going to, you know, just sit in the wheels uh, and keep their powder dry yeah. uh, for the end. So I didn't wondered if that was kind of the problem. Uh, but I spoke to Joss Loudon of Uno X and Christine Majerus, as you mentioned, uh, Lizzie of SD Works. They were both in the break and uh, both came out of it a little bit disappointed, I think. So uh, we'll hear Joss first and then Christine. Uh, well, Joss, a great performance from you uh, in the breakaway. What was your feeling about it? Because it was great, but then, you know, disappointed not to stay away, I imagine. Yeah, it's disappointing not to stay away. Um, it was uh, like it was a good day. I really like it was definitely a plan to get in the break today for one of us in the team. Um, and yeah, I took an opportunity. Uh, and yeah, it was you know, definitely just try just as absolutely hard as I could to, until the very end, really. Um, so yeah, disappointing, but also maybe not that surprising. <laughs> Did you guys think that at the start of the day that the breakaway would stay away? I think there was a really good chance for it today. Uh, it was a really good course for a breakaway to stay away if it was the right combination of riders and the right commitment to work. Um, I think that that was maybe a little bit of a problem uh, at some points. There wasn't just quite enough people that were really committed to it, enough teams. Um, but uh, it made for an exciting race, I imagine. And in the, in the finale, in the last lap, it was starting to get like pretty fun with some attacks. And again, like, yeah, I just did my absolute best until, until I literally couldn't do any more. What do you think went wrong for the break? Like, you know, you said that not everyone was working so well. What was the factor in that? Um, I, th- I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes I feel like the teams have already decided who's going to win the stage. And then that's just how it's going to play out, um, which is frustrating. But then there's lots of riders who are really committed to it. And like, you know, Audrey uh, Trek, she's super, super committed. And uh, yeah, like SD Works was really committed as well. So and actually like quite like a good proportion of the teams were. But I think as soon as you have a handful of riders that sit on, it immediately just really dampens things down a bit. Um, it's just frustrating because you like just one of you not want to win this bike race it's like one of the big this is the biggest bike race in the world <laughs> surely yeah especially when you know that there are such strong sprinters behind i guess I mean, yeah. yeah i mean you know that that if you don't win with the breakaway there's very few people who are going to win yeah exactly and uh when you know who's behind and you're like i mean this is the only opportunity we're going to get but then the you know the big teams they put riders up the road for exactly the reason to put the pressure on the other sprint the other teams with the other sprinters to affect their lead out so it's all tactical like i mean you can't 
you can't really uh, criticise it too much because it does make sense and then you've got uh, yeah, good, good racing from a bit. But at least today the brake was able to, to go and go for quite a long time and make, make a good race. Uh, sometimes, you know, brake barely gets like 30 seconds. Uh, Christine, you're in the brake today. You must have been disappointed that that didn't stay away. Yes, but uh, as they catch the tree, uh, the tree back, uh, it's a little bit less disappointing. I mean, then it wasn't for victory anyway. Um, yeah, the, the goal from the team uh, was to have someone uh, up there so that um, the rest could uh, be, be relaxed uh, behind in the, in the pallet and especially the GC riders looking for tomorrow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was uh, up to Chantal, me and Marlon to try to be, be there. I have to say the collaboration was not really good. I mean, half of the, half of the breakaway didn't work, so it's also hard to... Yeah, then to make a gap and to really create your the best chance to go for the win. So, and in the end, the tree that went away too didn't ride at all. So um, it's all a little bit logical. But uh, I mean, I enjoyed the time in front. Um, happy that I'm going a little bit better than the beginning of the of the tour. And uh, yeah, and now the the real business starts not for me, but uh, for for uh, Ash and Demi. And I uh, yeah, I really hope they can do it. Uh, were you surprised that the collaboration wasn't there in the break, seeing as it was, it's the last opportunity for a breakaway really to, to stay? Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's a little bit... Uh, <clears throat> it has been hard, uh, hard stages until now. I could feel that everyone was already <clears throat> a little bit tired, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's shit. I, I always say if you go in a breakaway, if you're not riding, then just stay in the bunch. <laughs> And uh, I mean, also, I know, I also know that I spend a lot of energy just riding through, but that's my kind of philosophy that I, uh, I, don't, I don't go in the breakaway. And um, yeah, I mean, I can look myself in the mirror today and uh, be proud of what I've done. And uh, yeah. So that was uh, two members of the breakaway that didn't manage to uh, stay away uh, today. You know, what did you think, Rook? You know, why did the breakaway not stay away today? It, I mean, everything, you know, the, the course was kind of designed almost for it to stay away. It was, yeah. It would have been a great breakaway course. And, and that's what I meant earlier. Like, if the breakaway had had those favorites, it would have stayed away. And I think, mm. I, don't oh, I, know what, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what the directive was that these riders were given, but there was definitely um, some apparent frustration in that not everyone was working. And um, some teams wanted to work, and then others just kind of sat in or weren't pulling through right. And so, I don't know. Like, it must have been whatever their directive was, because um, there was definitely not a, a cohesion to that break. But what I find very surprising is it's not like lots of the teams have got a lot of exposure. It's not like a lot of the teams have got a lot of wins or jerseys because, to be honest, Marianne Voss has taken a huge amount away from, mm-hmm. not away from the race. She's obviously only gained from the race, but in terms of, the you know, she's uh, she, a lot of limelight um, from the race because she's been in the yellow jersey so many days and two stage wins and leading the yellow jersey and the green jersey. Um, you know, it's kind of slim pickings for the rest of the team. So it's kind of strange for me uh, that the smaller teams wouldn't have been more committed, maybe. Yeah, I don't understand that either. I think everyone's just so, like, looking at the final two stages and they're, they're not really taking, like, every race for a race in itself. Mm. Uh, everyone's just looking for those two final stages. And I think if, if they just raced more aggressively and just, like, gave it all in one stage, I mean, what's there to lose at this point? Yeah, and Lizzie, did you think also maybe, because it has been quite a hard race so far, I remember you said a few nights ago that it was like, you know, one, you know, four one-day races, one after the other. Do you think that's kind of taken its toll a little bit and people, uh, you know, as Rook says, kind of 
trying to save a bit of energy for what is two mountainous stages to come yes and no i mean for the for the gc riders yes they're going to have had to be at the front of every single one of those four four first four kind of absolutely fiery races and they're going to have been expending so much energy but for the helpers and for the riders that weren't going for the gc once they're dropped you actually you know you just kind of like tap into the finish and you're not actually using that much so these last two days were an opportunity for the gc riders to to have a rest keep the powder dry think about the the two final stages coming up but for the other riders i was really surprised not to see them active yesterday and then you know some of them actually wanting to contest the stage today and you know we saw joss loudon of uno x um, very active in the break today driving it forward going for the mountains points obviously thinking maybe she can get some points in the mountains tomorrow and maybe take the overall polka dot jersey but that was the first time I'd really seen Uno X in this tour. You know, and I thought, why weren't they, they in there yesterday? Because yesterday would have been a phenomenal opportunity to get their jersey on the TV for 130 kilometres. Well, not that quite, quite that long because it's not shown from flag to finish yet, unfortunately. But the point is, you know, just get yourselves out there because... If you're not Mariana Voss or Trek Segafredo or maybe Cassian Ividoma or Sylvia Persico, you're not being seen. So go and do something. And why was Tiff Cromwell in that break today if she didn't want to work? You know, what was she protecting from behind? Just just work, go for the win. Maybe she wasn't feeling great and she just ended up there. But she wasn't pulling through and I don't really understand why. Oh, no, I, I fully agree. I mean, this this tour in many ways is the best opportunity to have yourself and have your team be seen. So I am surprised also that they're not showing it uh, off more, uh, especially on these in-between stages. You know, there's there's not a, there wasn't a going into the race. I didn't think there was a clear winner. It could have been anyone depending on what happened and uh, they could have made it happen. Yeah, I wondered if a little bit, I mean, Ruby Roseman Gannon, who's got most of the letters of my name uh, in her surname, um, uh, is only was only three minutes 15 down the yellow jersey. I mean, she wouldn't be a threat to the GC, but, you know, no. was that a little bit of factor that people... It wasn't like uh, the riders that were in the break had lost a load of time in the first few stages uh, and you know no. but it, it, I mean again and again it wasn't the GC teams that were holding them back was it? No I mean, no was, I, d- I don't think and... so I don't think yeah. so I mean you know UAE and Valkar stuffed up by not being in that break had they have been in that break and kind of all of the teams have been represented maybe it would have been a different story um, but yeah they they were the ones that really chased it back back they brought it they held that gap for a really long time they brought it down to 40 seconds and then once it's within sniffing distance the other teams then think oh okay well let's get involved so yeah i mean i don't know i find it frustrating i'm i'm a rider much like Majerus and like uh, joss loudon and if i'm in the break i will want to drive it and you know as a rider that going into a break it's kind of potluck who you get stuck with and sometimes you're in a break and you think oh hell this is useless it's not going to work or sometimes you think oh this is brilliant you know Ruth Winder before she retired she was always a rider you wanted to be in a break with Ellen van Dyke, Christine Majerus those kind of riders they want to push for it they want to make it work they see the opportunity but I just don't understand the riders that are in that break and then don't do it and it just oh as a rider in that situation it makes me so so frustrated and I definitely would have been one of those riders saying a few hot words uh to try and get everybody to move their um yeah move their bum cheeks (laughs) (laughs) 
um, I have to say, actually, Lizzie, one of my biggest takeaways when I was watching the, the, the stage today was Lizzie would be going mad if she was... <laughs> she would like, be... Lizzie will hate this stage because she would be furious that people weren't going for it, yeah. going for the win. One thing did occur to me, though. Um, we heard quite early on... Um, one of the, the, you know, the new uh, features that we actually have on the Tour de France fan that wasn't on the Tour de France OM is that we get to hear some of the race radio. I think it's nine teams have agreed uh, to allow their race radio to be broadcast uh, on the TV broadcast. And I think, you know, it really adds something. But it was quite early on uh, in that stage that I think it was the EF uh, yeah. DS. Uh, who said uh, to uh, Catherine. Catherine Hammers, who would have, was uh, in the break, uh, try and do uh, much, you know, try and do less work than the other riders. Uh, and obviously that was broadcast uh, to everyone who was watching. And the people who are watching also includes all of the DSs sitting in all the team cars in that race. I mean, for me, Rook, uh, if I was the DS of another team and I heard uh, a DS being you know, being quite explicit, you know, do less than the other ride, do less work in this breakaway than the other riders. I would be really annoyed by that and think, you know, okay, yeah, uh, to my riders, I would say, yeah, you should do less as well because, you know, I don't want this person to get an easy ride all the way to the finish and then just sprint for the line right at the end. What was your thoughts on on, on that kind of approach? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, it depends on who it is, right? In this case, mm. Catherine Hummus, is she a great sprinter? No, no. No. So is she that much of a danger? Would you just ride her off your wheel or would you, you know, would you really change your tactics uh, around her? I don't know. But yeah, I do think in general, um, having your your team tactics broadcasted to the public, it makes it interesting for the public. And it also adds a very tricky element for, um, for the teams. So I think of it as, um, I don't know how familiar you are with, with the American sport of baseball. But in, Not at all. I'm going to um, be honest. Well, in baseball, um, there's different like hand motions that indicate what okay. kind of pitch you're going to yeah, throw. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. public. It's on on TV, and they change it like every game because you know people will figure it out eventually. But it's just another element. You just learn to, to work with it. Yeah. I know, but I guess we got to say, as opposed to that in baseball, where you know, it, it, when you once you've worked out what the hand signal means, it's too late. Yeah. In this, you know, in a race yeah, when yeah. it's live. You're, you know, you've still got the races, still and you've still go got two more hours in the break hours. to ride. Yeah, yeah, you've still got yeah, a few yeah, more hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess, I guess everyone knows, uh, you know, knowing what kind of rider Katrine Hammers is, uh, you know that she's, like you said, she's not going to, you know, uh, win in a sprint. But I guess there's some, for me, there was something so explicit about it that I just felt like if you were hearing it, you, I don't know, you would have like an instinctual reaction, like, well, that seems like really annoying and I don't want my riders to, you know, if she's not pulling her weight, then, you know, my riders shouldn't uh, pull their weight. You know, the more interesting, uh, the interesting thing about it is that what gets broadcast is totally up to um, the, you know, whoever's running the uh, system. It's not up to the DSs. So the DSs really, everything that they are saying to those riders uh, is up for up for grabs uh, from the broadcasters. Yeah, so actually Caroline Canwell, the Canadian um, r- rider who's just retired, who rode with SD Works for so many years, is one of the people who is actually on the um, the panel, you know, assessing and putting out this this commentary for race radio, which is quite interesting because it had been, I, I say, 
I'd say predominantly SDWorks' tactics that had been flashing up. Uh, and when it was SDWorks' task tactics that were flashing up, I thought as a viewer, oh, hey, this is brilliant. And then today, you know, my team's tactics, EF Tibcare SVB, flashed up on the screen. And I thought, hey, that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's it's really funny because obviously you know I I'm I'm trying to have an outside perspective but I still do have a bias towards my own team of course um and I just thought well you know now that they've said that nobody you know everybody's going to want to kill this break because they're going to think well she's not working out hard but also if that that is the kind of thing that a DS, every DS says to every rider, work hard, but try and make sure you're working a little bit less hard than every, everybody else. And it also depends on who the rider is as to whether they actually take that advice or not. If it were me, I would probably just still drive the brake because, you know, I knew that I was a rider that was going to have the endurance and I would want the brake to work. So I would kind of only half listen. So um, you don't always don't do exactly what the know, DS says. For your future career, Lizzie, I'm not sure that that was the best thing to uh, to admit <laughs> on the podcast. Well, well, the point, the point, my point really is that, you know, I'm a, I'm a rider who, if you get in a break, you want the break to work. And I feel like for riders who go in the break, unless you have a specific team role, like Francisca Cock did today in that, you know, to be there, but not to do anything, then, you know, if you go in the break, just bloody well ride it. Uh, but it came into, well, it could have come into play a lot more on stage three up to Epinay, uh when it was broadcast, Danny Stam, the DS of SD Works, uh, was broadcast saying, uh, you know, uh, Ashley, uh, Mormon Passio, um, we're going to be working for Demi here. Um, so, you know, don't do too much. You know, uh, we think, you know, Demi can... Uh, effectively get a bit more time on her I mean she has GC ambitions at the end of this week and she could have gained a little bit more time uh, there at the end of the day it didn't come into play because Ashley Mormon Passio actually um, came third on that stage and I think Demi uh, had some issue which meant that she wasn't uh, in contention well, well Danny actually there. said that, that Ashley crashed, should stop riding because Demi could win the stage and and Demi and Liana Lippert crashed then Demi came back and then Demi actually led out for uh, for Ashley so like you were saying before it could have been a double bluff <laughs> knowing that that would go live but yeah it was it was their tactics very blatantly publicized to everybody yeah but if you agree to it then you know whatever you say might be publicized. So, oh, absolutely. You know. Yeah, I mean, it, it is kind of like taking off, uh, not to keep banging on about F1, my God. In a minute, Valtteri Bottas is going to come and sit down next to us. No, he's not really. Um, but uh, to, to say uh, uh, it's kind of like they, they, they have it in F1 where they, the teams give direction uh, and you hear the kind of back and forth between uh, the team and the uh, driver. Uh, in that but they in F1 they've kind of started using codes um, and I know Felix Mattis has, has written a great article about race radio uh, here at the Tour de France Femme and, and its usage and uh, Felix said to me that you know teams are considering well if you know we carry on using this race radio we're gonna have to start coming up with you know codes in order to convey a message without uh, you know without leaving it up to someone else to decide whether it's you know uh, a juicy enough piece of information to be broadcast or not and therefore you know getting around any vital information being uh, broadcast but you know Rook what was your feeling as, as you know 
as a um, spectator, as a, a viewer of women's cycling, you know, is it a great addition to have that? Yeah, I mean, I guess with with the my baseball um, co- like hand movements, it's like that's what I meant. Like there's going to be codes eventually that people are going to implement, like they do in baseball. Everyone can see it, so they're going to come up with something. And I think likewise they're going to come up with codes in in that we're going to hear. But I think um, I don't know. I think people like it. I mean, to be honest. I am personally not, and this is controversial, but I'm not a big fan of race radio in general. I am um, talking to riders. I, I like I like this old school racing where there's no earpieces and you you race with your gut and you race with your heart, and and that's what I prefer. But um, you know, we live in a new digital age, and people like to get more insights on what's happening. So to that end, I think it's good for the spectators. Yeah. Well, I, let's listen to. Uh, I do want to come back to that, Rob, <laughs> but I think we we should listen to. Uh, uh, Danny Stam, the DS uh, of SD Works, obviously, as I mentioned, you know, uh, well, as you said, Lizzie, actually, SD Works tactics uh, and Danny Stam's voice seems to come over uh, the broadcast more than anyone else's. So let's hear what uh, Danny Stam had to say about the use of race radio. Uh, Danny, now we know SD Works uh, have agreed to do the race radio where the race radio gets played on the TV broadcast. How did that how did that come about and why did you guys decide that agree to it? The Aja reached out to us and uh, they explained the plan and the project and I think it's, uh, it's something what the uh, spectators want to see. They want to have the inside uh, information from what, uh, yeah, how we coach the girls and uh, I think it's a, a, big, uh, a big win for the spectators at least. And uh, what's your thoughts on it? I mean, who decides what gets broadcast and what doesn't? Well, that is something what, uh, why it's a project and what, where we need to learn from what can we uh, explain and what we cannot explain. For the moment, they're recording everything and then they pick out the things what is interesting and what uh, can influence the tactics that they will keep out. And I think uh, so long we do that, and, uh, then it's, uh, it's okay. I mean, what were your thoughts after on uh, that stage? I mean, it didn't come in to play in the end, but on stage two, uh, you know, and everyone heard about saying, uh, Ash, don't um, pedal, you know, we're going for Demi here. Uh, were you happy with that going out? I mean, it seems like quite a private tactical uh, information. That could be a little bit later, uh, <laughs> to be honest. Because, yeah, I think in that moment, uh, sports directors can also... Uh, react on that and, and they know that we not go full gas because we have one of the girls uh, yeah, waiting for the other one and uh, yeah that, that are things what I think that, uh, yeah, that the radio commentator need to learn to, yeah, to filter what, what can I say and what can I not say and uh, I mean it's a project and uh, yeah I think I, we all need to stand open for, for developing women's cycling and I think if, if this is a big step then then everybody makes mistakes and uh, I think on the end uh, we can say okay this is what we don't want comes out and this is what we want uh, come out. Did it make any difference today I mean I heard the e- that EF were saying uh, to their rider in the break you know don't work work less than everyone else um, does that become a factor when you hear something like that that you know someone in the break is purposely doing less than everyone else? On the other side I think uh, the most directors are having the same thoughts always a little bit. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's an extra benefit, you know, that that rider is not doing more than the other one. On the other side, if everybody is going to say that, we never have a break again. Well, Rook, you've uh, 
just before we heard that Danny Stam uh, interview, you kind of left us with a, a little bit of a question. I wanted to know, Lizzie, what do you get from as a rider from race radio? And if you didn't have it, what difference do you think it would make to the racing? It makes a huge difference. And I, I always think when I'm watching the races, not in the races, that... You know, and you're kind of watching the commentary around the races and you're watching this commentary on Twitter of people saying, why did they do this? Why did they do that? And the people outside completely forget that the people inside the race are pretty much blind. And even if somebody goes up the road, sometimes you don't know because if you're not the kind of first, second, third, fourth row of riders, you just can't see what's happening. And the, the information communicated back to race, the race cars isn't always that clear. The information from race radio to the riders isn't always that clear because um, sometimes, you know, if you're, say, the 24th car in the back of the pack, then it's a too far distance for that actually to be transmitted and to be able to hear what the race car is saying. If you're then up the road in a breakaway, then that's even further for it to be transmitted and you've got no hope of hearing them and they've got even less hope of, of hearing you because your transmitter from your radio, radio is even smaller. Um, so I think race radio gives valuable insight into what's going on. I sometimes think that without race radio, actually the racing is more negative because people are sometimes maybe like more cautious. Um, I don't know. I think, I, I don't think that, cha you know, ra ra racing without radios would dramatically change racing. Um, I think, I think we should keep radios. And I think that maybe even those races <laughs> where we don't have radios, you know, those two special races a year where we don't have radios, world championships and uh, European championships, like, why not? Why do we use radios for 60 race days a year and then one or two race days a year suddenly we don't have radios? It just doesn't really make any sense, especially as those are the races where you're not with a familiar team because you're with a national team, not with your trade team. It just, oh, I don't know. Either have it all the way across the board or don't have it all the way across the board i have to say it's interesting lizzie when you say you know you can't hear very well because you know i used to work for um the quick step team and uh whenever i was in the race car and someone would come across the, the radio i'd always think like how do you have any idea mm. what that person is <laughs> yeah. saying and you know you'd hear something about and then it would be like davide bravata and you'd be like wouldn't have a clue and he would just say stay hard julian stay hard and that, that was, <laughs> it's that difficult was the, it's difficult and especially when everybody's speaking different languages so say if your team language is english but if your riders are german italian spanish french you know they're all speaking in a foreign language into a radio that then's then's getting transmitted and you have no idea what other people are saying and it's just all garbled anyway so it's very difficult to understand each other um and that's why these miscommunications happen all the time and you know sometimes people can say go and you think you think they're saying no or vice versa or um yeah there are so many miscommunications and things are so often kind of hyped up in the media you know these rivalries and it's just a load of rubbish because actually they just couldn't hear what was going on on the radio yeah i mean i've raced with the race radio i've raced without race radio uh, i've been in the cars and listened to team radios and i i mean i understand from especially from a safety point of view there's an absolute uh, argument to have race radios otherwise you know there's a lot of things that could go wrong and and it is important to communicate um, some safety uh, safety information but i don't know when it comes to just like racing with your gut and just like um not like positive like right non-negative racing i think um not having radios definitely helps what was the difference for you Ruben, if you've been racing without what do you think the difference is 
You, uh, as a writer, you have to be really, really aware of what's going on in the peloton. Um, you know, if there's a break, they're not. And you play with tactics, but you play with tactics, like, live as it happened. And, uh, you know, you communicate with your team. You go, you know, you communicate with everyone around the peloton. And uh, I don't know. I just, I always liked, um, it didn't always work out or anything, but I liked what the moves that happened. And, and everyone would be a bit more daring, I feel like, when there was, um, you know, some gray area. Yeah, I have to say, I mean, we know that it doesn't always work because you do still, you know, even with race radio. <laughs> even with the Olympic often... road race. <laughs> oh, yeah, without race radio, exactly. sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, but you, I mean, you do quite often see people, uh, even with race radio, you see people Yeah, we saw Jasper Philipson posting uh, up for second place at the Tour de France Arm, of course. You know, it's very it's very common that you, you just simply don't know. And, and the thing is, there's so many things happening behind in the team car that the team car may only say the really important things like 180 degree dangerous corner coming up and they can't mm. be constantly saying things and sometimes you can't even hear the team car anyway especially with the you know phenomenal level of crowds that we're seeing on the road if it's a finish you know coming up to a finish line or if it's on a climb you just simply won't be able to hear over what's happening by the side of the road yeah exactly it's very it's uh it's interesting isn't it i mean we oh, what, um, what's amazing is that we've gone from saying should it be broadcast uh, <laughs> on tv to say you know should should we, have should we ban race radios, radios? Yeah. Ban yeah. power meters. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's not step into power meters, <laughs> ladies. Ban computers. You can't have the map on your uh, race computer anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Let's. Okay. Let's step away from uh, getting into uh, another debate. We've still got a, a couple of stages and uh, mountainous stages, aren't they, Rook? That we've got left. Some really. Um, Tasty climbs, I should say. Yeah, if you like climbing, this is this is well, your yeah. moment to shine. <laughs> and uh, I, I think tomorrow we're going to see a, a pretty big um, foreshadowing of what to expect in the final GC. Oh, Rook, you know, when I always come to you, you always say something very, like, ominous. Yeah, <laughs> like, I know. Ooh. I, I, you, won't, you won't know this uh, show, but there's a, a, a soap uh, opera in uh, the UK. It's a very long-going... Um, program called EastEnders and it goes like dun 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 dun, dun. when something dramatic happens just at the end. Just put it after every like, time Rook I speaks. Ask you, what's that, <laughs> we'll just slot that in after every time Rook speaks. Yeah that's true but every time I ask you about tomorrow's stage it needs a few dun 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 dun, dun 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 Listen I just want people to tune in <laughs> and it's going to be a very exciting stage tomorrow. I'm excited I'm sure you guys are excited. Let's get well, the people something. We are Lizzie you know what's what about tomorrow's stage is I mean Everyone knows I'm looking after, uh, looking forward to, to the Platz of Vassal. Yeah, of course. For the name, purely for the name. <laughs> uh, but, you know, what's caught your eye about tomorrow's uh, stage? The Petit Ballon and the Grand Ballon. Two well, lots of ballons that we went through. I think there are so many different things that could play out tomorrow. So many different scenarios, so many exciting things about tomorrow's stage. Um, and you know we've got three absolutely monster climbs tomorrow and they start pretty early you know we haven't seen any day that that a breakaway has been allowed to go right from the start actually um, and already you know the road's going up gently from 20 kilometers but the first climb starts at 40 kilometers and that's the the pretty ballon and it's not really that pretty because it's 9.3 kilometers at 8.1 percent and the the really important thing about this climb is the descent 
and you come off the descent and you get zero respite. You go straight into the Platz of Vassal. And we heard Cassia Nibiodoma say when she did a preview of these, these climbs that they were just absolutely solid. She thought that it already might split up on the Petit Ballon. And so that if you're in the red, if you get distanced on that descent, and I think that the descent of the Petit Ballon is slightly more challenging than the descent of the Platz of Vassal, actually, um, then, you know, there's, there's no recovery because you're already in the red. You're absolutely hammering it to get back on the descent and then you've just got another 7k at 8.3% so it's really really solid then the final climb up the Grand Ballon is actually 13 kilometers so yes I think that we could see attacks a long way out I think the other really interesting thing about this stage is that if we'd have had um, an Annemiek van Vluten in the kind of you know, Annemiek van Vluten form that we expect her to see to see her in without the stomach issues that she's had at the beginning of the race, without the upset of having lost teammates, of course, then I think we could have expected to see an early attack on the first climb from her. However, will she will she have a you know a bit of more fear or will she be a bit unsure about her form because of what's happened and therefore will she kind of hold it back we haven't got many teams who've got more than one climber so if we have early attacks which we may do just because of the severity of that first climb are we going to have all of the leaders isolate apart from perhaps sd <laughs> works who've obviously got the the double header of uh, demi vollering and ashley Moore and Passio. so I think it can be really, really interesting stage. I think we're almost guaranteed. I, I'm going to say we're guaranteed. I think we're guaranteed to see Mariana Voss lose the yellow jersey tomorrow. Um, I think that the, the the big hitters will be wanting to take yellow because there is so little time left that they'll be wanting to put as much time into it tomorrow in order to try and secure it for the next day. Because if you're waiting till the final day, things get nervous and, and the pressure builds and yeah the the atmosphere isn't so nice as if you're already taking taking a lead into the final day dun, 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 dun. you were you were trying for that lizzie that I'm, time i'm honestly well, you were like oh here's this question about fan <laughs> oh here's this other question but they are, are we gonna they see? are oh. real questions we don't know what's going to happen we don't know how sylvia persico is going to hold up in the mountains she's been so good until now she was fifth again today i mean nevi Odoma was eighth in that bunch sprint actually elisa longo borghini has been in phenomenal form she's been attacking but she's also been doing so much work for elisa balsamo um where where will paulina royakas be she's been out of sorts will she be strong enough to be able to help cashi nevi Odoma, or will she be scared on the sense we've seen that she's just not quite been herself uh and so we just simply don't know what hap what will happen will cecilia utrup ludwig be uh climbing as well as she thinks that she can because she said she wanted to take this leadership but she wasn't as good as as uh marta cavalli in the giro and she she couldn't keep up with the best climbers so there are so many question marks and i just don't think we have any idea about what's going to happen and i just hope that it's going to explode <laughs> to pieces tomorrow because i think it'll be really exciting it has to, doesn't it? Because otherwise, the the only place for it to explode is on the the planche. Yeah, it's the mm. only other place yeah. it can do it. And then you're riding, I don't know, negative riding all day until you hit the planche, and then it's like, see ya. You know, yeah. people will attack. So it was like a solo time trials. Absolutely, yeah. it has to do tomorrow. Like it's it's tomorrow is perhaps more definitive than the than the eighth stage. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot. It's a lot harder tomorrow as well. A lot, lot harder. We do yep. kind of want to avoid that. I remember that La Course at the uh, Col d'Oisoir when uh, Annemiek van Vluten won in huge fashion. But it was basically like every 
each rider was kind of doing their own time trial up this huge, huge mountain uh, because it was, you know, it was yeah. such a big thing and it was the only defining thing of the stage yeah. and it was the final thing and it's a one-day race. So, you know, hopefully uh, tomorrow's stage will... Uh, mean that we avoid that kind of uh, that approach to riding uh, on the uh, last stage. But yeah, I, I ran out of dun 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 dun. Well, dun, I, I just I wanted to add one thing there, Rose, because if we do you see, can't add another thing. If we do <laughs> see Van Vluten going early, the thing is, she hasn't got those energy reserves that she usually has. So she might go early, but then she could she could very well blow up because when you've had a virus your body isn't working properly. You haven't got the energy that you usually have. You, you're just not quite the same. And so I just I just simply don't know what's gonna happen. It's been such an attacking race and, and so many things have been just unexpected that I think we could see anything tomorrow. And even if you see Annemiek van Vluten seemingly time trialing to the finish, watch the race because there's every chance that she might just have a spectacular blowing up on that final climb on the Grand Ballon. Lizzie, I've literally watched about 20 restaurants shut in the time uh, that it took you there to pose all of those unknown questions uh, about tomorrow's stage. So thank you for, thank you for leaving us with uh, the Very hungry. pizza option in town. Um, <laughs> But uh, at least the listeners will have got a, a, a very good uh, overall look of uh, tomorrow's stage, I guess. So I'm going to definitely uh, say goodbye to you. And I don't want any follow-up. I want to mention this. I want to cram this in. I don't want any of that. I want to say goodbye and that be the end. Okay, Lizzie, just say goodbye, please. Goodbye, Rose. Thank you, Lizzie. Oh, and... Uh... <laughs> no! <laughs> I'm not having it. <laughs> we need to eat, Lizzie, for goodness sake. Okay, Rook, uh... Good night to you. Rook. Good night to you guys also. <laughs> and uh, catch up with both of you tomorrow. Um, well, I don't know that we actually have any time left at all. Thanks, Lizzie. But um, <laughs> I will be leaving you uh, with a tour de buffalo, a very special one for you, Lizzie, um, because it's the first time that you met uh, Richard Moore at the women's tour when you were being given your Peddlers to Charm T-shirt, as it was uh, at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, Richard... Uh, just you know all is actually presenting it but richard steps in and asks the que- the, the important questions doesn't he yes. i'll leave you with him the tour du buffalo remembering richard moore hello hello um do you have a quick second yeah is that okay yeah um, just very briefly um you've won a Paul on our Twitter feed Aww. for Peddlers de Charm. Oh. You and Cora Rivera have been voted most charming peddlers <gasps> of the women's tour. What do we win? Well, you want a t-shirt? Oh, which, wow. Which, uh, do you think extra small or medium? Um, Extra small or medium. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so is it for my cat or my husband? <laughs> I think well, extra small. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So it was basically because everybody loved your attitude, your positivity, you and the way you've, ride, you've and, been uh, riding. Oh, so congratulations. Sweet. Thanks, everybody. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed, and Lionel Burney.